Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Post Op. I am your host, Dr. Adam Oppenheimer, and I am here, as always, with the lovely Asada Jones. Welcome back. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the show. I'm excited for another episode, mostly because I'm just excited to sit down with Asada. <laughs> this is like a reprieve for me. It is. Every I mean, week. It's, it's uh, you're not standing doing surgery. Yes. It's much, like low stakes, you know? Much less strenuous and yes. Listeners, welcome back to the show. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you haven't already, please rate and review and follow the show on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on. And uh, speaking of reviews, I want to say thank you, thank you to everyone who has left a review on Apple Podcast platforms so far. We see you. We love you. Thank you so much. Dr. Oppenheimer, have you read them yet? I generally don't. Uh, I haven't, but I've heard from a lot of patients. I've spoken to a few patients um, doing some virtual consults today that have listened to the podcast, a couple of patients that I have seen in pre-op and in post-op that are tuning in. So it's really nice to know that I'm not just talking with Asada here, <laughs> that there's actually people listening. Yeah, so we, thank we, you. We've got a couple couple thousand listeners out there. I'm, I'm pretty proud of us. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Go us. Thank you. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to read a couple of them, um, a couple new reviews. This one is from Jesse. And it's like multiple S's, multiple I's, multiple E's. It's I true. It. I just looked. Yes, that is. <laughs> that was the accurate pronunciation. Yeah. Actually. So Jesse writes, love, 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 Dr. Off. I wish I could have him as a primary. Getting the insights from the podcast is so great. Yeah. See? I am a talking doctor. Most surgeons are just cutting and sewing. I like to talk. I like to meet people. I love the connections that I make. Yeah. So maybe primary care was in another life. I was a primary care doctor. That there you go. It was your 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 second life. Parallel universe. <laughs> oh, the metaverse. Ooh. Okay, we can't we can't get on the metaverse, but listeners, another topic. You know what next, we're about. next week, the episode <laughs> is the metaverse. Another review is from Andrea MP. She writes, I've been following Dr. Oppenheimer on Instagram and Snapchat for over a year now, and his work is amazing. Huge fan here. The plastic surgery world is so interesting to me, and I love that I get to listen to Dr. Oppenheimer educate everyone on this topic. Yes. Thank you so much. That's, That's so, so nice. sweet. Appreciate it. We have actually a lot of people in the medical field who come to us for care, doctors, nice. nurses, and the like, and it is always an honor for me to have their trust. It's been a challenging year or challenging years for a lot of people in the healthcare industry. And so for me to see them here and to take care of them is really a great honor. So thank you. Nice. Well, thanks for those reviews, guys. We really, really appreciate Super them. Super cool. All right. Now we are going to smoothly move into our addendum segment, our addendum corner. I feel like we need some sound effect for that. Addendum like, corner. And then like a Wayne's World, like, no. Okay. No, no, no. I'm going to put that in, actually. Okay. That sounds really funny. We okay. should do it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Moving into our addendum corner. <laughs> I wanted to talk about that laser labiaplasty question that you got a couple days ago on Instagram when you put up the, and I say like you because you're, you're in it's surgery and way. on social media at the same it's, time. No, it's, it's the royal way. The royal way. Um, it takes a village, folks. No kidding. No kidding. But seriously, though, you posted a Ask Me Anything post up for labiaplasty and you got some really cool questions that you shared. So I just want to say thank you for those of you who asked those questions because somebody asked a question about laser labiaplasty and I went, what? 
what in the world is that? So can we talk about that a little bit? Sure. All right. So there's a lot of heat-based devices used in plastic surgery. And the idea of heat energy is that it can cause coagulation. It can actually tighten skin in some cases. If you've heard of J-plasma, smart lipo, vaser lipo, for example, these are things that purposefully heat and injure the skin to cause tightening of the skin, for example. Mm -hmm. Laser labioplasty basically is using one of those heat-based devices, a laser, usually a CO2 laser, which is one of the older medical lasers that can be used and hasn't really changed much over the last 30 or 40 years but it basically cuts and cauterizes at the same time. Mm. And usually in surgery, we are using surgical steel, where you're using a very fine scalpel blade to make an incision, and then often using cautery, which is itself a heat-based device to coagulate the vessels, but in a much more targeted way. So basically, both are creating some kind of injury. And the best analogy that I can come up with would be if you're in the kitchen and you cut your finger with a knife, it leaves a very thin line, and the injury of your surrounding tissues are very, very limited. It's only injured where the knife actually cut you. But if you're getting something off the stove or from the oven and you burn your hand, there's a much more diffuse injury where you might have like a whole centimeter of skin that is injured or burned that is then healing. There's a scab. There's a much more involved process from the heat injury. And so Heat-based devices aren't always better. It may sound trendy, but to bring it all back full circle, the laser labioplasty and lasers in general may leave more of an injury and actually slow down healing time compared to just using the standard surgical instruments, uh, surgical steel, as we would say, or a scalpel, where the injury is actually much more limited to the cells that you're dividing. One one one-thousandth of an inch is how thick a scalpel blade is. And there's no way that even though the laser energy is very focused as a beam, it's definitely injuring more surrounding skin. So, and the healing may be fine. The blood supply to the labia is very robust, but in general, using laser-based heat-based energies might leave more of a burn, like getting something Mm -hmm. from the stove, as opposed to simply cutting that tissue directly, more like a knife-related injury in the kitchen. Man, I'm so glad I I asked you to go further into that because it sounds like, you know, laser. It sounds, you know, cutting edge. It sounds like it would be even more precise than the scalpel. But from, you know, what I'm inferring, I don't think I would want that on my labia. Yeah, it may not be. And I think that there, there certainly could be great outcomes with a lot of different devices. You know, you can paint with the brush, with a colored pencil. You can... Yeah, you there's can make a lot of all, art, yeah. you know, so there's a lot of ways to go about it. Um, a scalpel is something you really will hold in your hand, just like a pencil. A lot of these lasers have a big machine attached to it, and the handpiece might be a little more cumbersome. Mm. But I think that, look, doctors can do exceptional things with all yeah. manner of instruments. Yeah, you're and not my, like talking trash about another yeah, doctor. It's, it's Never, really. No. My perspective <laughs> is just kind of my own, and this is my right. approach to things, and just my sense of energy-based devices in general, I think they really have a purpose. And we use them all the time for skin resurfacing. And they work great because you have a very controlled injury that causes new cell growth. And so there's there's great purposes for them in select areas. Mm. Man, wow. Well, thanks for that, Doc. (laughs) That was the addendum corner sound. We do that every week, the addendum corner sound, if you've been following. (laughs) 
<laughs> I love that we made our own sound effect. Go us. All right. So um, let's talk about your cases this week. Super busy week. Um, as usual, we start every week off Monday and Wednesday with a tummy tuck. Monday's tummy tuck was in a woman who lost a lot of weight. So it was really a body lift tummy tuck which basically is a question of degree. Mm -hmm. So essentially a tummy tuck is a scar that's hip to hip. A body lift is a scar that continues around and we're removing more and more skin, almost like a, a belt of skin. Mm. And so in her case, we did a large amount of skin removal around her whole waist. And as you gain and lose more weight, some women have really challenging pregnancies with extra amniotic fluid, for example, or, or gestational diabetes or more dramatic weight changes and so their skin and their muscle just continues to stretch more than a quote-unquote normal pregnancy if there is such is a, thing. a thing yeah is that a thing <laughs> yeah and so um it is so variable which is really amazing if you think about it we're all living in the same species of physiology and yet our responses to the same things are just so so different Wildly different and we just keep doing it like yeah we're, we're like actively trying okay sorry yeah we're about to get into my stuff this isn't like a therapy <laughs> I session i think it's sorry. cool <laughs> i like that stuff so i think that in her case the more dramatic skin excision around her right. whole body um is a little more little more surgically involved little longer healing little longer scar um but so we did that case and then on wednesday we did a BBL tummy tuck. And when I do those at the same time as tummy tucks, we're doing a lot of liposuction mm -hmm. and we're more transferring to the hip dips. We're not doing BBLs for really large volume or lots and lots of projection changes. They're definitely more subtle, which is a lot of my surgical technique in, in honesty. And so in, in that way, when you're sitting recovering after a tummy tuck, your hips are still free and aren't getting a lot of pressure. And so it's a little more about the lateral contours when I do those. And a lot of ladies have naturally some degree of a hip dip. And so right. we do the lipo, we transfer the fat, and then we do the tummy tuck as we always do with a great muscle repair, skin removal, low scar, cute belly button. I feel like I say that in my, in my sleep sometimes. It's like, it's like, a script. It's low good. scar, cute belly button. <laughs> Low scar, cute belly button. Well, there's one person that would know the answer to that one. We'll have to ask her off the <laughs> mic. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm really glad that you brought up the the tummy tuck and the BBL because today's episode is all about post-op care and um, post-op best practices. Sure. So, you know, when I pitched this episode to you, the thing that I said is that, you know, the patients are – entrusting you to be the best surgeon and give them the best um, outcome possible, what can they do to ensure the best surgery as well? We talked a little bit about what, you know, the, the mental prep and um, what they can do before the surgery, right? And I think it was episode three. Um, so listeners, if you haven't listened to that, go back and listen to that. Um, so what can they do afterwards? We really help to plug everyone into our system so it's really hard to escape all of our recommendations <laughs> you can if you want and really try i honestly think the biggest thing is rest yeah i know that sounds super simple but i would say when patients feel great after surgery even if it's say a week after surgery they are really ready to get back 
Yeah. And I think that the more that you rest and allow your body to heal, the better everything will end up. And I, and I think that's probably the main issue that I have. I, I think to step back one little bit, post-op means to me gentleness in surgery and kindness after surgery. And that's really what the hashtag, I guess, would mean or yeah. the, the vibe of what it means to be post-op. And because of that, and I honestly believe this and feel this to be true, is that there is less pain. There is a shorter feeling of need for recovery because there's less injury. The liposuction is more gentle. The handling of tissues is more gentle. I saw a couple of patients today that were follow-ups yesterday from breast lift with implants, which are, I didn't go through the rest of my OR. <laughs> this is like a segue within a segue or a nested conversation. I'll pick it back up the thread. But there was no bruising on post-op day one on those ladies, which for me is not uncommon. There's just very little bleeding during the surgeries. And so mm -hmm. I think the more rest that patients do, even when they're feeling well, the better their outcomes. It's almost like when you have a broken bone say and they put plates and screws in and then they put a cast over that mm -hmm. or a splint i almost want the splint the the dressings on the tummy tuck incision the way that we use the zero form and special dressings for the bras i almost want them to be the splint over the healing and i almost want patients to just treat their surgery like they have a fracture so right. they're almost a little more immobilized being active is good, but I think the problem with most of what we see because our patients feel so well, our anesthetic doses are just right because we use a lot of nerve blocks, a lot of local anesthesia, a lot of combination. We call them ERAS medications, which is early recovery after surgery. So we use multimodal pain control. I've mentioned this a couple times. We use Expero a lot for our tummy tucks. I think our patients feel better after surgery, and I'm just imploring them to rest more this is like a pitch also <laughs> if you're a post-op patient now chill. and you know who you are please put down the i don't know what i'm gonna put down the put down the child thank you <laughs> put down the child for just a second you know we know you're doing a lot well actually <laughs> exactly. what, what you're saying kind of reminds me of um you know when you're when you're sick and you get your antibiotics like the third day you're like oh i'm amazing but you still have like eight days left you're like nah i don't I'm need them yeah i'm fine and then you still have take like that weird post nasal drip no just me okay take no <laughs> yes take the whole dose yeah. take the medications finish, finish the whole pack of antibiotics yeah. but we help people get onto the post-op track we are very explicit we have these little emoji timelines on our website that yeah. help people with each of their milestones <laughs> Nobody really wants to read anymore, so we're just like, well, just put it as an emoji. <laughs> and so it's like a shower emoji or a poop emoji or other emojis. I mean, well, and there's it, some and constipation works. after surgery. It's just part of the deal. So, so yeah, I think that we really plug people into our timelines, into our post-op care, and we help people with a lot of all of the extras. And so there's not a lot of guesswork you need to do. You don't need to Google what do I need for a labiaplasty recovery? What what should I get for my tummy tuck recovery? We have essentially inclusive surgery whereby we will provide you with both of your post-op garments. We will provide you with your labiaplasty recovery kits. And we actually are a pharmacy here as well. So we prescribe and dispense the medications right yeah. at your pre-op visits. So there's not a lot of trips to CVS and extra 
thinking and decision making that you need to do in your recovery we really tied in with our patients after yeah. surgery and i like that because you provide that level of care provide that level of kindness they can then provide that level of kindness towards themselves because a lot of the times it's you know they're they're stretched so thin and there isn't anybody else to tell them ahead of time that like hey we've got you we've got you you don't need to do all this and we've got this pharmacy on 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 hand and yeah these type of things where they can then go okay i don't need to extend myself that much and yeah. then that level of kindness is um you know turned. yeah it feeds forward into their into their healing yeah, and i think important. yeah and i think also as we keep our a lot of our patients overnight all of our tummy tucks stay overnight with us in our own recovery room after surgery yeah. and that takes a ton of pressure off we're already starting people on their medication regimens we're setting it all out the family members and partners and husbands aren't as stressed about doing drain care or doing you know any yeah. of the aftercare stuff that we dial patients in with care, and it just period. takes no, yeah <laughs> you don't have to care anymore no um and i i joke a lot that when when i get too old to do surgery i think what we'll do is just run a mommy nap center where patients <laughs> can just come in get a very tiny dose of anesthesia uh propofol joke, maybe but honestly i think that would like revolutionize the world and i mean s moms would be lining up around the corner to just be like please just it's give a pretty me a great nap where nap. nobody can talk it's to me like they're not even allowed nap. in the room and our night nurse tina is so can i do so... that do i need to be a mom <laughs> she's our night nurse is so doting that patients always really rave and she's been my nurse for the longest time i think almost 10 years now wow. and she just is so caring genuinely yeah. with these ladies overnight that it just it just takes so much pressure off and there's something great i think we've all had those episodes where we've been sick and someone just has really helped us. And it's not yeah. always that you're doing something invasively medical, you know, chicken soup is just fine yeah. and the right kind of touch and the right kind of attention and tone of voice. And I think these are, that's like the X factor of some of the providers that I have on my team that are able to, to do that extra touch without even having to do anything revolutionary. Just, yeah. Being there, being kind, being helpful. Caring. Yeah. Yeah. There it is. That's the thing. All right. Well, let's talk about how your expectations can shape the post-op experience. I'm sure you have had the spectrum of patients come in like, I want to look like J-Lo to, I don't know, something, something more realistic. But what would you advise to patients to like shape their expectations for their post-op experience? Yeah, I think the biggest key, and a lot of people have say wish picks, right? For what they may want to look like. Yeah. And I think the biggest key I would say is look for patients who look like you in the before picture. Mm, okay. And even when you're searching for a surgeon, searching for a doctor, find yourself in the before picture and see if you can also find after pictures that are desirable to you that are your goal that also look like the before picture yeah beforehand and i i did a another virtual consult this morning um i'm getting through my surgery week this is like the longest post-op review <laughs> okay. this morning i did a labiaplasty i'm like answering that question that you asked 20 minutes ago and that that is usually how we round out the week with a labiaplasty 
Um, and then after the labiaplasty this morning, I did a bunch of virtual consults. One of those consults sent in a bunch of wish picks for breast augmentation. And I really loved that all of her wish picks were a in patients whose befores really looked a lot like her. Yeah. And B, some of the afters were work that I did. So that was like also, oh, okay. I, was like, I think I can do this. I'm, I'm pretty sure I can do this because. It's like a nice little bonus, like a little yeah. prop. Yeah. This is my goal picture. But that, so, so I think that is probably the key. We all are limited somewhat in what we are able to do with ourselves physically. Yeah. And it's just the nature of the bodies that we are born into and that we own and that is somewhat limiting in terms of what we can achieve with plastic surgery. And the limits of plastic surgery are real. We are doing needle and thread surgery. There is physical skin removal. It's almost as I make this, you know, dress analogy, which we'll talk about a little more next Next episode, episode, is that you have the fabric that you have that we need to fit the dress with. And there's a limit to what we're able to really do with that. And so Usually I'll talk in detail about the nature of the patient's skin quality or the nature of their bone structure and the nature of where their fat deposits might be or the shape of one breast versus the other um, to try to really help to manage those expectations. Mm -hmm. But I really think I just talk to a lot of reasonable, rational, thoughtful people who really do understand all of those elements and have have great expectations for the outcomes and of course their trust in me really wants makes me want to be exceptional with the work that I do. Yeah. It really is a virtuous cycle where someone's trusting me, especially with all the virtual consults that I've been doing more and more lately. Someone is trusting me with photos of their body. So right off the bat I'm like I owe you big. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for taking that leap of faith with me. I owe you. I need to make this surgery great for you. You're you're the one who took that first risk and I'm going to make good on it. And I always start every virtual consult the same way with thank you so much for taking time to talk with me, but thank you also for trusting me with your photos of your body. Now I'm getting choked up. I mean, it's you were you were the one who was choked up last week. Honestly, you're doing the the relationship that you have with every single patient that you walk into the the virtual office or or a virtual examination room yeah. or the actual real examination room, um, that's a that's a big that's a big connection there. Yeah, that's how it starts with trust. Yeah, I think that in medical school and in residency, um, it, it was impressed on me that you can't really be a good doctor unless you know what it's like to be a patient. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's interesting that um, s- some doctors. What is, what's they say that the the saying is that doctors make the worst worst patients, right? Sure. Um, that may I don't think that's entirely true. Probably true. But <laughs> I'll speak from personal experience. But that whole thing of like rest after the surgery. I'm like, make sure you rest. I'm like, I'm not you doing never that. Do that now. We're going. We're gonna go. But you do. Em- but you know, it, it does allow you to empathize with your patients. You know, even though you've never had you know a, a tummy tuck done or anything like that. But the the desire to Everybody has something, right? And yeah. that vulnerability, like, I think... It drives me. It yeah. definitely is, is and probably the... you're honest about it. Yeah, that's probably the motivating force for me every time. Yeah, yeah. Um, so let's talk a, a little bit... Oh, sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. I, I did want to mention that I do think 
that's why representation is really important. And I want to once again encourage women who have had plastic surgery to talk about their surgeries, um, you know, obviously to people that you're comfortable with, you know. I mean, if you're the type that you're comfortable putting it up on social media, then go for it. But talking about your experiences and sharing that, I think not only normalizes the experience, but it it helps other women who are maybe hesitant. Absolutely. It pays Um, it forward. I think that, and we do see women doing that on social media. And it's not just... I don't see that really as a way of promoting me. You know, I see that more than anything as a way of provo- promoting right. a healthy version of womanhood if that's what you're desiring yeah. to pursue. And it really does normalize plastic surgery, which is part of my vision. Exactly. And, I, and it's important that people, I don't know, I think it's important that women know that they have that option. You yeah. know, that it's not just for in my in my experience it's not just for you know rich white women it's not just for a certain type of person that in for me excludes me it's kind of awesome to see black and brown women get their surgeries done and be open about the fact that they had the surgery and not it being an aspect of shame of like oh yeah I had to get this done because you know um I don't know like my babies wrecked my body or something like that it's like no I wanted to reclaim my body and look at how amazing I am it's like oh yeah that's 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 awesome yeah we see we're seeing that (laughs) more and more you're allowed are you allowed to curse on this actually I don't know really I don't we haven't decided (laughs) you can't I think I mean it's okay with me I don't know if it's okay (laughs) I'm just gonna drop in the bleep right here Yeah, I think it's awesome to see that. And I think it's necessary. And I think that it's missing. It's been missing. We talked early on in the um, podcast about that kind of transparency and that effort to normalize what is really something that so many women are really pursuing for themselves. And to, as I've always said, to pull back the curtain on things, but to to share different perspectives and different mm-hmm. approaches to it based on everyone's different starting point in their ethnicity and their life and their life experience. And I think one of the things as well that I really am trying to share more and more, and just because of censorship, I'm more able to share it on Snapchat, but is the way that women of color are scarring differently during tummy tucks or the same during tummy tucks. Mm. I think there's some kinds of misconceptions about the healing phases of a scar if you're a woman of color that you're going to get a keloid and whenever I talk to women because I talked to a couple women of color on the phone this morning about breast lift and breast reduction surgeries and I always ask them well are your ear piercings healed fine you know did your c-section heal fine and more often than not yeah of course and so I think that educating and talking a little bit about that is helpful, but sharing the scars that I'm able to do specifically on Snapchat because of showing the pubic area and pubic mm. hair area is something that is grounds for cancellation on, on some of the on Instagram yeah. or Facebook or something like that. And so, but on Snapchat, I'm able to show that. And more often than not, you just see the same types of scar, slightly hyperpigment or hyperpigmented or slightly hypopigmented, a little light, a little dark but same low placement, same smooth line. And it's been great for me to share that. I think that's the thing that is a big 
hesitancy for a lot of women to pursue surgery is how the scar heals I, over time. Yes. And for me, it's also interesting because I see those scars at three months and then people are, they're gone, you know? And I recently saw a patient who was four years post-op. I'm like, so that's how a scar looks after a tummy nice. tuck because it, you know, they came back for a breast surgery and I was looking at a scar that, and, and what's interesting is too, very, very light skin, very fair women can also have pink or purple or red scars mm. in the same way that women of color can have darker or hyperpigmented scars or raised scars. And so both ends of the spectrum of skin tone can actually each have some, some he unique healing properties. But I love showing that. I love showing the, the scar process yeah. on Snapchat, which is really the best way for you to see those. Listeners, if yeah. you haven't gotten on Snapchat, get on Snapchat. Yeah. That's so, where the, the, the primo stuff is. Yeah. And so <laughs> and my handle there is at real D-R-O-P-P. -P. There you go. And so that's really the easiest place for me to show the most. And I feel like I am showing the most of the post-op experience on Snapchat where I'm able to show clinic videos. I do some surgery videos. Most of it's at the end of the surgeries when I'm finished doing the work. But in clinic, I'll show a lot of the scars, a lot of here's a one week, here's a one month, here's a three month. Mm -hmm. And you can see how things evolve over time because most of what we, if a picture is worth a thousand words, I don't know, a video is worth whatever, however many, <laughs> but it's just so easy to consume and to understand. And it's great. Again, that pay it forward thing that we see is, is awesome when patients yeah. are willing to share. And we do get patients who send in their photos or little videos of them at different healing points, which is always welcome. We have our special post-op email that if you're a patient, you know, if you know, you know. If you know, you know. We will not be giving that it's out. It's not of this. the podcast email. Don't be weird, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Sending Asada all kinds of healing pictures. Yeah, I'm feeling but but this we is get not it. <laughs> we get a lot of, of photos that come in. Sometimes they're to be shared, which is great. Sometimes they're just to share a good vibe with us, and we celebrate those. Like we're on really, vacation. Yeah, we're in their bikinis for the yes. first time. We celebrate those in our in our little circles at the nursing station. Of oh yeah, I remember her. She was so sweet. I'm so excited for her. Oh, I love so that. We, that's so cool. We cheer them on behind the scenes as well, and so so that's always cool too to get those connections. And I think I don't know if I'm jumping ahead to answering a question go about it go for it but because of covid we've done more and more virtual follow-ups we've yeah. done more and more virtual post-ops and so what's that post-op care like we have the same time intervals of our follow-ups mm -hmm. a day a week a month three months we do emails of photos we don't do a lot of like facetime or zoom videos i don't know if zoom fatigue is just rampant I for mean, everyone we don't do it yeah, so still a thing though oof. so we don't really do that and for my virtual consults by the way we we do photos and a phone conversation which is i think the least threatening yeah and that way we're not doing disrobed zoom calls which it's awkward seems yeah that's another whole thing that is just complicated and and um unnecessary there's too many variable variables. It's like it anyway. Yeah, like a nine hundred. We know number. why we're not why you're not yeah. doing it. <laughs> yeah. So so I think that that makes the follow ups really great, which is to say we have patients send in their photos and 
my medical assistant, Andrea, or my nurse, Arissa, or and or myself, really I review pretty much every one of those photos, have a conversation with the care staff, and then we'll follow up with you, either me with phone calls, Arissa with phone calls, Andrew with phone calls, and we stay really in close touch with everyone. And I was telling someone earlier who they were asking about that, and I think about 40% of our patients are have been virtual during COVID. Awesome. And I think it's probably going to stay that way or maybe even expand. I have people pati- now like realize how, how accessible it can be. Yeah. And so they come in, obviously we're not doing remote surgery. They're, <laughs> they're coming in for the surgery. And I said, I told one of the patients who I spoke to from the West coast today, I was, I just said, you need me to be good and be gone. You don't really want to need your surgeon after the surgery. Right, that's a complication. That's yeah. a problem. <laughs> yeah, and so I'm here, but most all of the time, nobody really needs me beyond the hour and a half or four or five hours of, of their surgery. And then we are doing those photo follow-ups. And because of the, like I said, the pharmacy, the skin care, the garments, the silicone tapes that we use after our incisions, we provide all of these things in the post-op process as just part of the surgery. Mm-hmm. All of these things are included. I think of it as inclusive surgery because right. we want to make sure you're automatically from initial conditions prepared to have the best yeah. outcome. So we help. We, we get you your scar gel. We give you your recovery kits. And it helps us to let you be at home and just heal where you're the most comfortable and where you have the most comfortable bed and mm-hmm. the food that you need to eat for your recovery and just everything that your you need bathroom, there. Your own bathroom, your own shower. Exactly. Like that makes things, I mean, there's something about just using your own bathroom where you're just like comfortable, you totally. know? It, it really does change everything. Um, I want to talk about revisions um, and complications, you know. Sure. On the off chance that sure. 1%, 0.1% of patients that maybe need a little bit more follow-up care. Sure. Um, and now I do want to make this And I think you nailed clear. the percentages, by the way. I think that is accurate. Like nice. the rate of complications probably is 0.1%. The rate of revision probably is 1%. Yes. So your chance of having a complication is 10 times less than something fussy that you and I both want to fix. Mm-hmm which is really, I think, important. There's a big difference between needing surgery that you have something, God forbid, wrong, like bleeding, you know, which is one in a thousand, sure, versus something you and I both say, oh yeah, I know you started, your left breast was sitting a little higher, it's still a little higher, or oh, let's revise this little scar, or you know what, we can do better with that nipple position. Let's, Let's do that, and it's super collaborative, with yeah. me. I'm sorry that I cut you off. No, but that's an important that's an important distinction. I, I think that interrupt it's fine. I interrupt you all the time. Um, I'm like, yeah, it's my this is my podcast, <laughs> Asada. Wait. Listeners, I interrupt him all the time. It's just that I edit out the interruptions. So. <laughs> you make yourself seem so nice. You're so cordial. Well, that you know. doctor's always interrupting Asada. I know. People are like, he's so rude to her. When I listen to these <laughs> ha ha ha, he doesn't know. <laughs> when I listen to these, because obviously we review them yeah. before they go live. I'm always like, man, when does Asada come back on? I like really like your parts. I've like parts. edit out 10% don't. of like my stutters and ums and no. backward sentences. No, don't do it. I always <laughs> like those parts. They're my favorite parts. Thanks. Um, so revisions, complications, sure. a very small percentage. Yeah. I want to 
again, I think that it's great that you specify the difference between something that you want to change and an actual complication and an actual revision. And I also want to specify to the listeners listening that Dr. Oppenheimer only does revisions on surgeries that he has previously done. Does that, did I say that right? Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Um, so we, I, in the past, when I've been, when I answered phones, a lot of people called in and said, I mean, I've heard some stories. I'm not going to air out those doctors' businesses on this podcast, but I've heard some stories to where my mouth is just wide open and these patients are um, asking if you can fix this issue, you can fix their revision. And it was heartbreaking to, to tell them that, no, you, you can't simply because, one, it's your choice and you can do that. Um, but also doing a revision if you're not the surgeon is like, not having a blueprint and exactly it, and it's yeah. like oh wow i i didn't think about that until you and i had that conversation and i was like oh yeah well of course then how are we expecting all surgeons to just kind of be able to drop in and pick up where another surgeon left off that's so unrealistic there's so much different technique that's yes. used and you may not even know what you're getting into even if when you're looking at an operative report and i think my ability to deliver and essentially guarantee in so far that one person can guarantee something to another person it's so much more limited when we're going back in when there's a lot of scar tissue when there's some other challenges or problems and so Sometimes that's been multiple a, multiple um surgeries that didn't go right and yeah. just not some but it does break my heart for sure and i think that it it's very hard for me to see those outcomes too. Um, but yeah, but either way, I think, you know, going back, the talking about revisions. Yeah, back to what again, you can control. <laughs> yeah, again, they're very, very minor in the vast majority of cases where we're just doing a few centimeters here, a few millimeters there. It's like the second fitting of the dress. And I was explaining to someone earlier today that most of the time I just get the one fitting and that's good enough because. It's not a dress, it's your body, and I need to be pretty close to perfect with it. But the complication rate is is much lower, a tenth of what a revision rate is, so probably realistically one in a thousand. And that is, um, when those things happen, we are here. It's basically a mini hospital here. And we have every medication that a hospital has. We have every resource. We are a surgery center, so... God forbid, if there is something like bleeding after a surgery, we go in, stop the bleeder, close things back up, and help you recover on your way again. That's really the complication, yeah. realistically, that we're, we're thinking or talking about. And it's fortunately very, very low. Infection is just super, super rare. So to need to have a surgery from an infection is almost not a, not a thing that I really think that is something that's in my consciousness even yeah. from the last few years of thinking about that if it's a little skin irritation and redness sure a little antibiotic orally is is most all that we need but um and you know i'd be remiss the i don't know if if anyone's aware of of the no surprises act i think i mentioned price transparency in healthcare. Oh, yes yes you and did. so the no surprises act is just coming through now as a way of being very transparent with pricing That's so that there is two or no episode three real cost of plastic surgery you're yes. good sada you're good it's, it's all like one like big podcast for me <laughs> like this is just one continuous conversation 
that's that the way I designed it. You're just life. supposed to just come in and that's That's it. the way you design life. It's one continuous conversation with Asada Jones. So Did you just create my next podcast? <laughs> next podcast. Wait a minute. Am I going to be a guest on your podcast? I, well, I, I mean, yes. I, I would love to have you a guest one on One continuous what makes me conversation. Well, so most of the time with the cost of surgery as a main concern, the No Surprises Act is basically making all of this transparent and it all needs to be upfront. Because as I talked before, how many times do you go in for something and then you start getting multiple quasi-related bills yeah. for other services? Oh, we saw this one thing. Oh, you had a blood draw. Oh, that's not a, that Tylenol that you had in the There's ER. The, the, the gauze and some yeah. tape. You, you need a Band-Aid? Totally. An and it's super intense, the pricing of everything. And so we've always been transparent. Again, empowering women through exceptional plastic surgery and genuine kindness as the mission. But the vision being to normalize plastic surgery through transparency and trust. And so transparency in pricing, in care, in what is inclusive surgery, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. It's always been a guiding light for me in medicine. And so we share our pricing information and have for years and years on our on our website. And so for us and for me to talk about even revisions and complications, when patients have a complication, it's so rare, we just take care of it. Mm -hmm. There is no cost. There is no charge for some emergency procedure. And fortunately it is so rare that it's that it's something that we can do that we just help people. So it's one less thing that you have to worry about. Yeah. And then in the cases where there is a revision, the really small revisions that that really require just the nurse to help me, it's just the costs are just related to the nurses, just related to the the provision of care by them, nothing from me. Mm-hmm. So those those charges are also super, super minimal. And we can tell patients what those things are as they progress in are in need of those things. And it's really not intimidating at all yeah. to to feel like you need to come forward to address any concerns. And I mean, I legitimately encourage patients, if they're not, if you're listening to this and there's something that's bothering you, just come in and see me. And if there's a way that I can fix it safely and in a way that I think is going to deliver a great outcome for you that'll make you even happier, please. Like, I don't want you to feel that way yeah. out there. So I, I'm here for that. And I often say that I'm pickier than 99% of my patients, which I think is true. I often will see those things that would require the second fitting of the dress before it would come to that. And so very often in surgery, I'm like, "Mm, no, I got to tweak this a little bit or raise that a little bit or there's a little size difference. Let me fix that Mm -hmm. so that you don't have to feel stressed about having something less than what you would want. So that's my no surprises act. summary and implementation in my own practice and really just to try to make that post-op experience even easier and smoother for my patients yeah i think you should add the no surprises into like the mission of the practice i think that's great awesome love it well dr oppenheimer we have run into our time here or run out of our time here thanks again it's always a pleasure i'm kind of sad that i have to wait another week to reconnect with you or two Two weeks weeks. (laughs) But to our listeners, it'll seem like two weeks. Yeah, we we haven't missed a beat for you guys. Cool. It's all good. All right. Well, as always, listeners, if you haven't already, please uh, follow the show on whatever podcasting platform you're listening to this on. And if you like this episode, leave us a five-star rating and a nice review so I can read it on the next podcast episode. All right, Dr. Oppenheimer, any last words? 
No, thank you. I mean, yes. <laughs> yes. Thank I you so much for <laughs> thank you so much for listening in and thank you so much for your trust to my patients past, present and future. Yes. Super grateful for you. And I will see you guys around the post op. Yes, we'll be back next week. Talk soon. Bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.